is the Toasted Sister Podcast, a podcast about indigenous food that's created by me, Andy Murphy. For tuning in. This is episode 54. If you like what I'm doing here, please rate and review this show on iTunes because it really helps get the word out about this podcast. You can also spread the good word by sharing this show with your friends and neighbors. And if they don't know how to listen to podcasts, grab their phone and download a few episodes for them. And if you're just barely getting into this podcast, welcome. There is more than 24 hours of audio content in the archive. That's like listening to the show for an entire day nonstop. Or if you want to spread it out to one episode a day, that's like 54 days of indigenous food stories told by native chefs, farmers, and those working towards food sovereignty throughout the country. So check out ToastedSisterPodcast.com for more episodes, including photos from episodes that are recorded on the road. Follow Toasted Sister on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Andy Murphy. And again, thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into today's episode. In this special episode, my sister Alicia Murphy drives me all over the western half of the Navajo Nation Reservation to visit with Jermaine Simonson. She's the owner and operator of Rocky Ridge Gas and Market, a grocery store in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. Um, so right now we are in Rocky Ridge, Denebito, and we are sitting at the um, Rocky Ridge Gas and Market. And this has been a community store for, I believe, since the 60s. So we talk about, um, you know, historical trauma and and such um, things like that. But our community, even today, continues to suffer the ramifications of um, federal policies. And so back in the 70s, our community um, was really affected by the Navajo Hopi Relocation Act, and um, in which uh, the federal government drew some lines and created boundaries and said, this is going to be Hopi Reservation, this is going to be Navajo Reservation. Our community here, we lost two-thirds of our land base. So if you were to look at a map, you will see the Hopi Reservation. We are sitting like in the mouth of the Hopi Reservation. So we're surrounded by the Hopi Reservation. I don't know exactly the amount of families that were uprooted and were relocated. And so today, there are at least a handful um, of elders who continue to remain on their, what they say is their ancestral lands, and they are considered resistors. So they're 
breaking federal law, so to speak, um, but they chose to stay here and remain here. It's a long history, and then there are families who signed the accommodation agreement, meaning that they've um, signed an agreement with the Hopi tribe to say, well, we'll let you guys live here, but you're going to live under some of our rules. And that's so they're kind of under the Hopi tribe. So our community it has been through years of, you know, um, um, fighting um, this policy but we remain here today, and that's what I believe really makes this uh, makes this community really unique. Um, and so we are very rural community, as you might have you know seen coming in from Tuba City. Um, you drove an hour out here, and there was really nothing in between. And then so you could just kind of see you know what services are available to people and so being this community store i'm finding and seeing just how important it is for the people here because um there are people here that live even more remote than here the store here um when mr elijah blair built the store you know it is a big size store i'm going to say it's over the entire building probably is over 3000 square feet um, but right now we're sitting really just in probably 1,500 square feet, and that's where the store does its operations. And so it was a full-blown store. Uh, you walk in, we have all the drinks set in the back and, you know, several um, rows and aisles of grocery. And, and then we walk around and we walk towards the back and you, you saw also our storage area. And then we there's a kitchen sink area and and then we have a room with just other freezers. So back in the day, the store had full operations in terms of it being being a butcher shop. In the older part of the store, you know, as we walk through, we you know you see at least two um, walk-in freezers and also uh, a butcher area. And then there's also a really nice antique meat uh, cooler. We haven't had a chance to see if that works, and, and hopefully we do um, at some point. You walk to the very um, west end of the building uh, where, you know, a lot of transactions took place back in the day. It used to also be pawn shop, and then uh, th- it also had the capability of cashing checks and things like that. So there's that area, and then there's a safe and that's broken and it's a huge safe (laughs) it's a walk-in safe and i don't have a key to it or um really not sure how to go about opening it but and then the part of the door that we walk in way back in the day was the rug room is what a lot of people say is what it was it's a room where there were stacks and stacks of rugs because the trader here purchased rugs um, from the community and that's where he you know had all his rugs and and then there are two other buildings um, there's a stone an old stone building as well as a like a barn barn looking metal building tin shed that's the um, the business site here and it has those three buildings plus a small house in the back Besides here, where would people go to get food? Where's the nearest grocery store? Is that Tuba City? Certainly, people do go to Tuba City. Um, it is an, exactly an hour from here, if not a little bit more than that. Um, but eight miles, they have would have to drive on the dirt road um, to get to the highway. 
And sometimes, you know, when we have inclement weather, um, that eight miles becomes impassable. So when that happens, you very well could be stuck here in the community. Um, so Tuba City is, is a lo- the place, you know, it has a, one big grocery store, which is Bash's. And now there's, I th- believe, two dollar generals or dollar stores there, uh, several C stores, and then also the laundromat and other things. So people definitely uh, go to Tuba City for a lot of things and that's where you have some tribal offices as well as a major health facility there too um, but going towards the east from this community would be pinyon pinyon is much smaller it just has you know one gas station a pizza place a, a sandwich place uh, bashes and a laundromat and then going to the south of us is the hopi um uh, kikatsmovi village store as well as um Hot Villa, and those are easily accessible too, but still a, at least a good 30-minute drive to get to those locations. And then going towards north would be Kianto, which would be a little further than Tuba City. It's probably about an hour and a half drive, and that would be the next major sort of town. Tell me what you want to uh, do with this place. I know you took us around all the little rooms in the back and you had like all these plans that uh, you're working on. But first you got to, you know, patch up some walls and put on some fresh paint. So there's um, a lot that can happen. This I think when I first looked at the opportunity and when I first explored, although it looks like it needs a lot of work, I also saw a lot of potential just knowing that we are in need of so many services out here. Um, you know, I was born and raised here. So, and, and my mom, uh, since I was little, she was work with the senior citizen center. So I've just been around elders really all my life. Um, and so very much, you know, just for the few years that I went away to go to school, um, I've been here and I, I feel like, you know, I'm pretty much in tune with what the people here are doing and, and the livelihoods they have. And so just last week, like I said, I was visiting an elder and, you know, she's in her 80s and um, she lives in a very remote location and, um, you know, just few visitors, um, mainly her, her kids, you know. Um, but she talked about the importance of remaining here. Um, I asked her, you know, had she gone out, traveled anywhere? And she said, no, I don't care to travel. I want to be here. I love my home. I like being here. I don't care to go anywhere. And I know that's really kind of the sentiment for a lot of folks here. My goal with the store is to provide as many services as I can locally um, because I know people have things to do. Um, you know, out in this community, we still live very much our traditional life ways. We have families who have sheep and cows and horses, and they tend to those. And I know we have a lot of families with cornfields and that are we're growing corn right now. And that's everyday work. And so it's just kind of hard for anybody to get away for more than, you know, uh, and so even just going away for a full day can, you know, um, take a lot from you, what you need to do at home. I want to be able to do here, I want to provide things here where people feel like they don't have to go away for a whole day to get business accomplished. And so some of the real needs that we have is we don't have a post office. And so the nearest post office is in Hopi. So imagine having to drive 30 miles um, just to pick up your mail. 
I'm also looking at um, a small deli. People are always looking for food. The nearest restaurant is in Hopi again, which is about 30, 40 minutes away. I'm looking uh, at also just a small tire shop. We also have this building for a uh, potential, you know, hay, hay feed and tax store. And so it has a lot of potential. The business site is located on five acres. And so we really have the ability, um, some of the, the, the goals and dreams that we have also is to put up some kind of greenhouse um, where we could grow our own vegetables, where we really have the ability to um, sell vegetables, you know, and, and to be able to say that it was grown locally and knowing exactly where it's coming from. Um, so certainly there's um, a lot of plans and a lot of things that we can do here. We have the space. I have a small space here that I'm turning into a little community center, a public space where we can have uh, activities. So we've already had like a yoga. We've had a sewing, you know, session in there. You know, my previous job was in mental health and I, you know, done prevention, community prevention for many, many years. And so I really, you know, believe in, in bringing those opportunities, you know, to the people for their well-being and, and such things. So, and that I will continue to do. And and I think secretly that was my, the reason why I took on, <laughs> it, it sounds crazy, but it sounds a little removed, but I was like excited about the building just in general, because then I'm like, ooh, this is a nice community building. I saw kind of that first and then a store second. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I saw the potential and I said, it'd be really nice because, you know, and so right, right now in the main store, we've started um, renovating in terms of putting new paint colors on the wall. We're also going to turn, you know, the entryway, we're going to put three little cafe tables there. So that gives the people opportunity to sit down and just enjoy their snacks. You know, right now we're just providing like heat up sandwiches and People come for that, and so I'm sure they want to sit down and enjoy their meal. And our cooler, you know, our building has a cooler, so especially right now, it being super hot outside, I I think people would appreciate coming into a building and cooling off for a bit before they head back out. So um, just a lot of plans for this place, certainly. You know, you mentioned this place as like a community place and um, uh, Rocky Ridge is a very, very small community, but at least you guys have uh, a place where you can you can meet here. How, how really important are these little community places, whether they're a little store or just like the maybe the local flea market uh, to rural communities like Rocky Ridge and, and, you know, Hard Rock, other other little communities around here? I want to be able to create some spaces inside and outside where people have the ability to sit, you know, mingle with others and catch up. And we see that often. Sometimes, you know, people haven't seen each other for a while. They catch up on what's going on. And maybe uh, they've heard something and they need clarification or, you know, they tell each other about important events happening in the community. Um, so, it's really, you know, someplace, uh, it, it's an important place. And who I tend to really serve more at a full service, instead of somebody just coming in to buy a drink and a chip, um, it's the elders that live in those real remote locations that I'm speaking about. Uh, and some of them don't have, you know, reliable enough transportation 
to say go to Tuba City. You know, the other day I had a, a an elder who was in that position came by and, you know, she took her time and did her grocery shopping. So she really did come here, you know, for, for grocery shopping, just like you would to supermarket or, you know, a bigger grocery store. Um, so she, she was able to come in and, you know, purchase a whole variety of things for her house. And it was good to see her. And it's good um, for people like her because she lives in such a remote community. So when she comes here, she's able to see others. And she's able to, you know, socialize a bit before going back, you know, to really her remote location. Um, so it, it's important. And, and when we have local events, um, you know, uh, ceremonies and things like that, if they need some last minute, you know, like uh, maybe they're missing something, um, they have the ability to come here to the store um, and really grab something. And, and one of the more, it seems to me like the real need is the gasoline, which, you know, I'm able to provide here as well as propane. Um, so the, those are two really important, you know, necessities for your, your household. And I have that here, which, you know, I think most people appreciate. I'm, you know, pretty happy about, I'm, I'm okay happy <laughs> about our inventory. I feel like we carry um, just a little bit of almost anything you might need, but it, you're not going to get like five different brands, but <laughs> you, at least there's one or two, you know. Um, and so we try to um, correct, uh, provide a variety of things. And also, we'd love to expand, you know, what we have to offer as well. So definitely, um, the store being here, it was important. You know, the Navajo Nation felt like it was really important to, for the store to stay open because the previous owner, she had expressed wanting to, you know, leave the store, you know, let go of ownership about three years ago, four years ago. Um, and the nation was frantically looking for somebody to continue the operations. And I think they even, you know, went through a couple of people um, and nothing was panning out. And they were just kind of desperate. And they're just like, we cannot close the doors. We know it's really important service to the community. Also, you know, we just can't have an abandoned building out there because it'll really get vandalized and, you know, things like that. So it was really important for the nation for them to see somebody continue operations without it closing. And so that was, that was able to happen. Uh, we, I started a Facebook page for the store a while back and I've been, you know, providing some information on there. I think not even, not just even for locals, but what I'm seeing is um, for people who live, who are from the community, like I said, we were, we were in this relocation we had to deal with that and a lot of families from here were uprooted and had moved to other either other parts uh most of them moved probably to newland sanders area by gallup um but some people moved out to flagstaff and probably other parts of the country you know so what i'm seeing on facebook is when i you know post pictures or when I, um, you know, provide some local news, people, I'm getting, you know, responses from people from all over saying, oh, that's, you know, that's where I'm from. And they like to be connected in that way. 
So they might see a picture and that reminds them, oh my gosh, I haven't been home in 20 years, but I remember that, you know, I, I remember that. And thank you for posting that, you know. I posted a picture of a horse um, tied up outside right here a couple months back and that got like a whole bunch of shares and I'm just like uh okay <laughs> and it was just you know somebody rode their horse over to get some food and then they rode back and I you know I was just saying you know uh, out here we don't really need cars you know we just get around on what we can and you know sometimes it's our horse um, and people just love that. And they're just like, oh, my gosh, I remember that, you know, and that's my cousin or that's my brother. That's my nephew's horse, you know. So they even recognize the horse. And, <laughs> and it was just like, wow. Um, so people really appreciate that. So for even just being on social media and being on the World Wide Web, um, people stay connected to where they're coming from. And that's what I'm seeing by having this website on, you know, and have not the website, but having this Facebook uh, for the community. So certainly I like to, you know, do more. And so that I, uh, and I'm really feeling like, you know, creating those spaces indoor and outdoor um, for be people. And like you said, you know, I could also, I, there's a ton of things I could host. And one of them could be, you know, a monthly, um, yard sale, you know, just out here. Um, and so people are, are, are looking for those kind of things. All right. And what is the most difficult part about running this store? The most difficult, there's a lot of difficult things. <laughs> um, I think, for sure, the, the, the age of the building is one of them. Um, it's, it's an old building, and it hasn't really been maintained over the years. And so um, that's kind of something that we're spending money on and something that we're doing. You know, I wanted to initially spend the money on the services I could provide and really you know, bringing in more products, but it turns out once I got in here and I got to look at the electrical and taking a look at the roof and all those things, I'm like, uh, okay, that's probably where I need to begin because if I need it to be, and number one thing is safety, you know, I want to be able to have, provide a safe space. Um, and those things we have to tackle first. And so that's difficult. And the thing is, this building belongs to the nation, the Navajo Nation. Um, this is actually one site, business site, that I can say that they probably have not spent a dime. So when the trader came, he spent his money and created this place. And so it wasn't the nation, you know, the nation builds shopping centers all over, and they put money into that. But this is the one location where I really think, I don't think, I'm pretty certain, and I may be wrong, but I'm pretty certain they've not spent any money in, into the infrastructure here. Um, and so everything that's been done here has been by the trader that the trader several, uh, you know, 20 years back. And so coming in, those are things I have to deal with. Second, you know, just the location or remote location. Um, we don't get a lot of delivery coming here. There's a couple of vendors that I have to meet in Tuba City or in Pinyon or even have to go to Flagstaff to pick up some items. So not everybody wants to deliver here. It's too far out. And also, um, I probably am, I don't have a big enough order for them. You know, they're definitely used to 
um, probably delivering to C stores that are on major routes, you know, where they have big orders and, and consistent orders, and maybe they get an order every week. Um, sometimes I don't order every week. And so, um, so I'm fortunate that I have a few vendors and at least one of my biggest, you know, um, distributor is able to come here, which I'm thankful for, you know, because of the small store, I don't really get the price breaks probably that other major stores get, um, because I'm not ordering a whole lot of food. And that was, is my other issue being out here and being a small store, so you 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 tend to see the prices are a little higher in I think sometimes people don't understand that um customers anyway and they say well I was just in Tuba and this was 99 cents and you know they get upset and I'm like I'd love to be able to offer those price breaks but I I, I can't you know and being a small um grocery store um so those are some things Um, The challenges that I face out here, definitely when weather conditions, you know, it it limits some delivery and we have to sometimes meet our delivery person in Kikats movie or on the highway somewhere. So those are some of my challenges and just, um, you know, trying to bootstrap the business is definitely another one. You know, it's definitely all in, you know, having a good business plan and doing your due, due diligence and, and having the books and even that, you know, because there's not a whole lot of services here, my bookkeeper is two hours away. So it's not somebody that I can interact with on a daily basis. There's just no way. Um, and even banking is two hours away. So I don't have the luxury of, you know, depositing every night like I'm supposed to. What I see is like you have a team of people that are helping you run the store. It's hard because that team isn't here and and I don't have access to them right away. Um, and when I do need, you know, when I do go see them, it's a traveling two hours away. It's spending a whole day away from the store. It's having to lug, you know, all kinds of documents over there and forgetting some and, you know, all kinds of things. And those are things you have to be up on all those things, uh, especially when you're going to seek capital, when you're trying to go for a business loan, you've got to, you know, pretty much have your, your stuff in order, you got to have your fish together. And um, it's hard to do. And whether it's just me personally, or I guess I could blame it on being this remote and not having the team members that I need to have access to, but I am going to take personal responsibility, but it's definitely a lot of work. So just bootstrapping the business and also recognizing and seeing that a grocery store and, and being, a um, selling gas, there's not, um, a huge profit margin in that it's a very slim. So definitely you're looking at, I would need the time and the time to research. What can I do? What, what can I do? What can I sell? What can I do different that, or not different, but what else can I do? Um, that will give me a better profit margin. That probably will be happening here within the second year. I've never owned a business before. I've never owned a grocery store before. Um, So this has all been new for me. It's it's been a learning process every day. Um, So this first year was just even started out as learning how to work the register. (laughs) Because 
I know it sounds really bad. <laughs> it sounds really bad. You're like, you started a business and you didn't even know how to, I didn't know how to operate that register. And, I, and even in my life, I've never worked in retail. So I've no experience, but I've signed up for this. And I was like, I'll learn, which, which I have. Um, we realized on day one that the previous employees were not going to continue and that it was us. And we just kind of assumed we didn't do our due diligence. And, you know, a month prior, we didn't put that into our transition plan. Um, we didn't even have one. But the day that we assumed the business, it was us. And then the next day, okay, so then I was like, at the end of the day, um, I was like, okay, so they were here with us and they were showing us things. And then the end of the day, I was like, okay, so let's figure out the schedule for the rest of the week. And they're like, oh, we're not going to continue. And I'm like, huh? What? You're not going <laughs> to? <laughs> what? <laughs> so it was just my husband and I. And we're just like, um, I guess it's us. <laughs> so uh, the next day and the next day, we probably called them a few times. Uh, How do you do this? How do you work this? How do you do this? The wet the first Friday because we had we sell nachos Friday Saturday Sunday Friday we had to call one of the employees um I said I'll pay you 40 bucks if you could come over here and show me how to ha set up this nacho operation <laughs> oh my god I've never felt so stupid before and so she comes over takes her like 30 minutes shows us what to do and I'm then she was happy to take the $40 she was like okay thank you and I'm like, she's like call me anytime <laughs> so anyway just stuff like that so um you know just 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 um bootstrapping all of it definitely it, it's it's been hard but I just feel like I'm like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it and I see a few friends who I think are recognizing just how hard like this has been for me and they're just like we will help you you know try to get a line of credit we will help you apply for this and that and I'm just like um let me suffer first like I really gotta suffer for a long time before I give in to any kind of help <laughs> uh -huh. so anyway that's just me but so far it's I think it's it's been good it's a lot of work for sure but um I'm really thankful for family because if I didn't have my husband if I don't have my kids my nieces nephews my mom and dad my aunts all these people if I didn't have them um, my brother-in-law my sister everybody like I would not do it and I wouldn't couldn't be doing this um, because they've all come in and helped in one way or another and so they've really you know kind of are helping me move along so it, it just I just don't know how I would would do it or would have done it without them. I know we, when you were on Native America Calling a couple of days ago, you were talking about um, some of the new foods that you try to introduce to the community. Can you talk a little bit about that and how successful that's been? Successful or not? <laughs> um, you know, part of my plan with the store is to be able to provide, and, and going back to the little space back here, is being able to provide um, cooking demonstrations, you know, because sometimes um, we don't buy things that we just don't know what it tastes like. So we're not going to waste our money, so to speak. Um, and so we just like, I don't know how to cook that. I don't know what that tastes like. So I'm just not going to get it. And so I, I really feel like that's one of the barriers. And and that's part of my goal is, you know, 
wanting to be able to create a space where we have cooking demos, um, where we maybe introduce new products and say, this is, you know, this is how you can cook. These are the different ways you can cook broccoli. And so I think if we're able to show that these foods can be, that one, they can, it can be cheap, you know, in terms of price point. And it can be good for you. It can be healthy. And so those are kind of my goals with the um, with the cooking demos is, is it, it, it's not too expensive. It's it's good to eat and it's good for your health. From from the previous owner and just kind of looking and studying her ordering and, and what the, the, the products that she's been she's had over the years, there's certainly just probably like 10 vegetable items that I'm seeing constantly and that we've continued to carry and provide. And like I said, you know, that's definitely like tomatoes, iceberg lettuce, um, jalapeno, chili, um, and also uh, carrots, um, celery, cabbage, potatoes. Um, those are the just a very few vegetable fruit items that have been selling consistently onions since we started we introduced broccoli and broccoli was one of those that just didn't do well at all um <laughs> it's sat and it sat there for a long time and pretty at that point we're just like uh we're just gonna take it home because you know I like broccoli and I'm like I'll eat it all myself <laughs> and so broccoli was one of those items that didn't do too well and, you know, I didn't really get a chance to ask, you know, how come you won't, why, why, why do you not want to buy the broccoli? Like, I know it could be better worded, but, you know, so what's up with the broccoli, you know? Uh, so that was something I didn't get a chance to ask. So we just never um, brought it or ordered again. Other, you know, vegetables we ordered was the asparagus. And, and I ordered a small quantity only because I wasn't sure how well it's going to do. But again, ordering small quantities, your price points are not going to be very good. So it, it ended up being kind of on the expensive side. And we probably got only got like 12 bundles or so. Um, but it's sold. It's sold except maybe one. And it did okay, I think. <laughs> I, I, I think it did okay. And then we had... Um, we also brought cilantro in. Uh, I think we might have had red cabbage at one point. Tofu was another one. <laughs> we only ordered three, and it just sat there forever. <laughs> and then I think I heard more people like, who even eats this? You know, like some <laughs> some lady comes in, and some people are pretty critical and very vocal about things. <laughs> so she's digging around and back there where all the uh, bologna and all these other things are. She looks at it. She goes, Tofu, who even eats this? You know, really loud. And we're just like, okay. <laughs> this is getting people angry here <laughs> um but um you know just providing um you know just a, and then we have some frozen vegetables that people and then the canned stuff that people like um and so those are just the few items that I've you know been operating the store for a year now just seeing what people buy and the, it's very limited so Certainly, I've had conversations with some people about how um, we might improve that, how 
I could buy more bulk um, vegetables and kind of just pre-cut things and do a vacuum seal of some sort and just, you know, have pre-cut vegetables ready for either, um, you know, a stir fry or soup, you know, something. So where people are more inclined to buy more vegetables because it's ready to be cooked. And you somebody kind of already put a recipe together for you, right? So we're just trying to be creative and start thinking about how I could provide more vegetables, but how I could, how the shelf life um, could be improved on them. We're constantly brainstorming. So that's definitely one of our brainstorm um, ideas that <clears throat> that we came up with. Um, and so hopefully, you know, that's something that we can do here in the future. That was Jermaine Simonson, owner and operator of Rocky Ridge Gas and Market. She is a graduate student of Change Lab's business incubator program. This is where my sister, Alicia Murphy, comes in because she was an intern with Change Labs this summer and was able to record an interview for me. She spoke with Jessica Stego, who's the program director of business incubation for Change Labs, and they talked about food entrepreneurship on the Navajo Nation. Here's Jessica. There's a lot of food entrepreneurs. They're probably more food entrepreneurs than anything. Um, some of the challenges they face are just like any un other entrepreneurs in terms of getting their business registered and having to figure out whether they will need to pay taxes. Most of them are pretty aware of the health and safety regulations, um, those things, but it's actually setting up their business and working with the tribe for the those type of registrations that they need and that's just sort of on the startup ed, uh, end of it there's also some resources that they need in terms of being able to offer the foods that they want to that they want to offer to their customers or that they see a need for but they don't have the right um, they don't have commercial kitchens they don't have commercial equipment they just don't have those resources or a place because uh, and also most of them are home-based businesses so they cook in their home or they cook in their you know it might be a small trailer or even just a roadside sort of pop-up setup the cost of actually setting that up is um they only need it for certain things and they only need it for a certain amount of time the cost of having to set that up it's not worthwhile for them to, for one entrepreneur to do that. So some type of resource where they'd have access to commercial kitchens, I think would really, really help a lot of the food entrepreneurs. How does Change Labs help entrepreneurs? My dream for some of our food entrepreneurs, and of course I, I you know, when we, with Change Labs, we really work closely with the entrepreneur to help them carry out their dream. But I would love to see um, more restaurants opening up by um, some of our talented cooks and even chefs, even trained chefs that are working off the reservation right now. And, you know, we could take a, um, a building that's not being used in a community and turn it into a restaurant and really look at what are the best sort of concepts for those restaurants. Is it for local people? Um, a place where they can access, you know, maybe traditional foods or is it, or maybe there's a lot of food entrepreneurs already providing what's, you know, deemed traditional foods, 
Um, so they just want somebody, they want somebody to, somewhere they can have pizza or, you know, sandwiches or also healthy, um, more healthy foods. So um, Change Labs can help somebody who has a dream, um, whether it's just if they have a small food vending business, how do you make sure that you're operating um, within the regulations that are required of you? Um, or is there a better way of operating? We can look at, you know, helping them to um, make sure that they're being as efficient as they could be. Um, also, what are opportunities for them to grow? Do they want to move into a brick and mortar space? Um, what kind of funding would that require? And um, how could they access that type of funding? So we really can work with the entrepreneurs um, just in growing their business in any way they want to, or if they don't even want to grow their business and they like the size of their business, how do they maybe become more efficient so that they can, a lot of times entrepreneurs are spending seven days a week, 12 hours a day in their business um, and you just can't do that for a long period of time. So how do you bring in the resources that you need to operate your business as a business and not something that's what you have to do every day, every hour of every day. What do food entrepreneurs need to succeed? One, they need support from their communities to provide space for them to operate um, without fear of being shut down or being or even being um, told to move elsewhere where to a space that doesn't give them as, as, as much exposure. Entrepreneurs know what they're doing when they pick the space that they pick. And so having to, making them move to a different place or, or even you know saying, well, we're gonna set this place aside for you. It's an infringement on the way they operate their business. And so I feel like supporting food entrepreneurs and setting up shop where they want to set up shop, you know, somehow making, working with them to make the space available to them is um, extremely beneficial for them. Um, but also helping them to work through things like taxes, what taxes do they have to pay, um, incentivizing them to get their businesses registered, to get the, um, the appropriate amount of insurance or, um, you know, these things that cost money for them because those things will stabilize their business and they can operate as a business and not just a pop-up shop that happens every day, um, you know, where at any time they could be told to move or at any time, you know, they're afraid to talk to government officials because they, you know, they know they're not paying taxes, um, but they don't know what the process is or even having them to take time out of their day or having them to having them pay for um, having to, to get registered, things like that, that disincentivizes them. And so I think that if their communities could um, provide the support that they need, uh, administrative support and getting businesses registered um, and having the space available to them and working with them um, through those things would be extremely beneficial to them. That was Jessica Stego from Change Labs and Alicia Murphy, my sister, who is a doctoral student focused on tribal economic development. 
Toasted Sister is supported by the Kiwanik Broadcast Corporation. It plays regularly on KCZY, the Navajo Technical University's radio station in Crown Point, New Mexico. This podcast is also part of the weekly lineup on The River. That's R-I-V-R, which stands for Rising Indigenous Voices Radio. This show is also affiliated with Native Voice One and appears alongside great Native news shows like Native America Calling, Trahant Reports, and National Native News on the Native Voice One app. And this app is really cool. It's your one-stop source for Native radio news. And music is created for Toasted Sister by CWION. Check out their outstanding music on Bandcamp or at CWION.com. That's C-W-A-Y-O-N.com. I'm Andy Murphy, and we'll see you around. just ignore all the time zones and the state lines time is a social construct that's created by (laughs) human beings and so you meet her at the social construct time that you both have agreed upon and because you're sisters you know that that time is the exact time (laughs) we'll feel it yeah because we're connected that way yeah that's what i'm saying it's like (laughs) you don't need to worry about navajo nation or arizona back and forth you you set the time. Okay. You've created how time exists. So if you say you're going to meet her at six, you know, in Flagstaff, that's six sister time. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Do you pick up what I'm putting down? I think so. I mean, we've tried that a couple times before, just way off. You know, I'll be there early. She'll be there late. We get in a hissy fit, and then that's the end of the vacation. So this time, we want to meet at her place in Flagstaff, Arizona time, at 6. Because she's coming from Tuba City, Navajo Nation time, to okay. meet me there at 6. And I'm coming from New Mexico time, traveling a little ways through Navajo time, and then back into Arizona time. What time should I leave from this office? Okay, so... Or am I late right now? You're late? (laughs) You're late? (laughs) You decide what time it is right now in sister time. Okay? Just stop mentioning all these other time zones and create a new time zone called sister time. Okay. And then you travel on sister time. And you say, I'm here at six sister time. And if it's not the same as her six sister time, then she didn't follow the rules. <laughs> okay, I know how we can do this. I can I can tell her, I'll be there in five hours. <laughs> Make sure you're Let's there. Let's look at the map here. We need a map. Okay, so what's happening here is that you are somewhere around here. Okay, <laughs> and then you're going to go through this. And then... Which is the Navajo Nation. Yeah, right. And then you're going to go through someone else's territory. And then you're going to go... I don't know where Flagstaff is, so never mind. right there. (laughs) Just the tip. 
<laughs> so what you do is uh, you just you're on this time zone right here you just once you cross over to here you just count backwards one hour wait what's the difference between here and tuba city tuba city's navajo time right. which is the same as mountain time okay. right now okay and then flagstaff is arizona time which is an hour it, one hour an earlier hour earlier just go by, uh, just keep, uh, keep the worst case, early. The worst case scenario is you arrive an hour <laughs> early. It like that. <laughs> Drive faster is what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I Once I cross the Arizona border, I'll see what time it is on my phone. <laughs>